Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and the actions of our lives be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Imagine for a moment that you were made king or queen of the world. Your word is law. You get to decree and it will happen. What is your first act as king or queen of the world? What is it that you want to do? Maybe you want to declare that ice cream must be served at breakfast each and every day, and it can be eaten before all of the other healthy foods. Maybe you want to declare that all wealth must be shared equally so that there will not be any poor among us anymore. You declare it, it'll happen. Maybe you are a king or a queen who is bent on justice. And so maybe you want to make sure that people who commit certain crimes are punished to the full extent of the law, while those who have not committed any crime are protected. Uh, they are protected from any false allegations. They are protected against miscarriages of justice. Maybe you have something else in mind as your first action as king or queen of the world. We'd like to think that with great power, we could do great and mighty things. But hold on for a second. I, I did want you to think about what you would do as king or queen of the world. Because... I think no matter what it is that we think about or dream about, what we would do if we were in that position is very different than what you're about to consider. See, as we talk about Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus, our Lord, entered into Jerusalem and was hailed as king, he was hailed as king because he is king. Now, unlike our little thought experiment, Jesus is the king of kings, the king of the universe. He is the almighty one, the all-powerful one. His word is powerful. Uh, unlike our thought experiment, Jesus can actually do anything that he would want to do. But then watch, listen, as we consider these final days and see how our King comes. See how His words and His actions are so very different than anything we ourselves would do if we would be in that position, if we would have all of that power, if we would be the ones in control. And when you think about that, when you see that difference, then you start to understand why this day is so special, why our Savior is so special. So as we consider these final days, these final days of Jesus' earthly life, that time had come that he would fulfill the scriptures and he was going to accomplish the purpose for which his father sent him. That purpose that was established before the world was created. 
The cross was nearer now as Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem. Now, on the way, he did stop in Bethany, where his friend Lazarus had recently died. If you were part of our midweek services, you you heard that. To the horror and astonishment of those who were watching, Jesus ordered the tomb of Lazarus to be opened. And then Jesus called Lazarus to come out, and that dead man was restored to life. Now, those who witnessed that miracle spread word about it, and some of them took the news directly to Jesus' own enemies. And they began to plan all the more seriously for Jesus' death. Caiaphas, as the high priest of Israel, he unknowingly prophesied the truth about Jesus. It would have been better, Jesus said, that we have one man die for the people rather than to have the Romans respond to the threat of Jesus's growing popularity by destroying the whole nation. Jesus's opponents even made plans to kill Lazarus, too, and to wipe out any evidence of that recent miracle. Now, later, Jesus joined Mary, Martha, and Lazarus at dinner, and Mary opened a costly container of perfumed ointment and anointed Jesus' feet, answering Jesus' own disciples and their complaints about the expense and wasted money. Jesus explained that Mary was preparing him, anointing his body for burial an event that would take place just a week later. Later, as Jesus and his disciples continued on that road up to Jerusalem, Jesus repeatedly told the disciples what lay in store for him. He said he would be betrayed, arrested, and crucified. He would be buried and then raised to life on the third day after his death. The disciples were puzzled. Now, maybe they thought that their master and Lord could not die. He he was surely too powerful for that. After all, he had just raised Lazarus from the dead. Still, they probably wondered. They wondered what Jesus meant by that strange comment about rising from the dead. Now, if the disciples didn't understand what rising from the dead meant, they did understand what it meant to be important. And they were very concerned about that. They argued among themselves as to which one of them was the most important. Finally, James and John asked Jesus for a special favor. Since he would reign as king in his kingdom, they asked if they could sit beside him on either side of his throne. That honor, Jesus said, could only be granted by his heavenly Father. But before the throne, there would be suffering. Jesus would soon drink the cup of God's wrath against sin. He would not have a throne, but a cross. He would not be crowned with gold, but with thorns. And his followers, too, would eventually suffer because of their faith in him. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his own life as a ransom. And now the time, the time to pay that ransom price had come. 
Jesus would enter Jerusalem to take up those last steps to the cross. That was the purpose for which he had come. Welcomed by cheering followers, Jesus' own disciples, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He came just as the prophet said he would. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Those are the words we heard earlier from the prophet Zechariah. Perhaps as this was happening, the people remembered the story of Solomon, the son of David, who centuries before, he was acclaimed as king as he rode through Jerusalem on a mule. To welcome Jesus as king, the people waved palm branches like flags. Jesus rode his donkey over a red carpet formed by branches and coats thrown on the road. Jesus' followers shouted praise and welcomed him as the son of David. They had waited a long time for this king, and now he had finally come. Maybe now he would save them from the hated Roman conquerors. They called out to him, Hosanna! Save us now. Jesus was the son of David. He was that king, the promised Messiah of Israel. And he had come to save his people. But he had not come to save them from the Romans. He came to save them from their own sins. And to do this, he wouldn't wear that crown of gold. Instead, he knew that that crown of thorns awaited. And as he rode into the city on a donkey, just less than a week, he would be dragging a heavy wooden cross, the instrument of his death through those same streets. On Sunday, sure, the crowds were welcoming him as their king, but he knew on Friday that that same title would be posted on his cross as his crime. This is the king of the Jews. But this was the purpose for which Jesus had come. He was a king who came not in power to enact his own will, but to accomplish his father's will. And that meant that Jesus came in humility. The Son of God, God in human flesh, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In that humble obedience to his Father, Jesus offered up his life as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus, our King, came to save us, but he came to save us not through great power, but instead through great weakness, by giving up his own life for you and for me. 
And Jesus died. And he was buried. But as he said, on the third day, he was raised up from the grave, never to die again. Jesus came in weakness, but he was a king of great power. And God exalted him. God exalted him to the highest place. God raised him from the dead and raised him to his own right hand so that Jesus' own victory over death could be our victory too. Jesus won for you and for me. And because we are joined to Jesus in our baptism, because we were buried with him and raised to new life with him, we all live in his kingdom. We live in that kingdom even now, and we live, we live that same pattern of Jesus' life. We live not for ourselves. We live not to enact our own desires to accumulate our own power. Instead, we live a life emptying ourselves, a life of weakness, a life of humble service in God's kingdom. Because on the last day, when our King returns in glory, we know that we will have victory. We will be raised up from our graves just as Jesus was never to die again. And then our king, that king who was welcomed into Jerusalem, the king who offered up his life on the cross for us, that king who rose from the dead for us, he will welcome us into his eternal kingdom He will say, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And there, as the Apostle John saw, we will take up palm branches once more. We will stand with all the saints among a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This Palm Sunday, I don't just want you to imagine what it would be like if you could be king or queen of the world. Instead, I want you to know that there is only one king, one king of the universe, one king of the world. And that king comes He comes in humility. He comes in the form of a servant. He comes to suffer and die so that you and I would have victory, so that you and I would have eternal life, so that you and I would have forgiveness for all of our sins, so that you and I could live in that kingdom and wave these palm branches 
before our King forever. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and triumphant Savior. Amen. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and the actions of our lives be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Imagine for a moment that you were made king or queen of the world. Your word is law. You get to decree and it will happen. What is your first act as king or queen of the world. What is it that you want to do? Maybe you want to declare that ice cream must be served at breakfast each and every day, and it can be eaten before all of the other healthy foods. Maybe you want to declare that all wealth must be shared equally so that there will not be any poor among us anymore. You declare it, it'll happen. Maybe you are a king or a queen who is bent on justice. And so maybe you want to make sure that people who commit certain crimes are punished to the full extent of the law, while those who have not committed any crime are protected. Uh, They are protected from any false allegations. They are protected against miscarriages of justice. Maybe you have something else in mind as your first action as king or queen of the world. We'd like to think that with great power, we could do great and mighty things. But hold on for a second. I I did want you to think about what you would do as king or queen of the world, because I think no matter what it is that we think about or dream about, what we would do if we were in that position is very different than what you're about to consider. See, as we talk about Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus, our Lord, entered into Jerusalem and was hailed as king, he was hailed as king because he is king. Now, unlike our little thought experiment, Jesus is the king of kings, the king of the universe. He is the almighty one, the all-powerful one. His word is powerful. Unlike our thought experiment, Jesus can actually do anything that he would want to do. But then watch, listen, as we consider these final days and see how our King comes. See how His words and His actions are so very different than anything we ourselves would do if we would be in that position, if we would have all of that power, if we would be the ones in control. And when you think about that, When you see that difference, 
then you start to understand why this day is so special, why our Savior is so special. So as we consider these final days, these final days of Jesus' earthly life, that time had come that he would fulfill the scriptures and he was going to accomplish the purpose for which his father sent him. That purpose that was established before the world was created. The cross was nearer now as Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem. Now, on the way, he did stop in Bethany, where his friend Lazarus had recently died. If you were part of our midweek services, you you heard that. To the horror and astonishment of those who were watching, Jesus ordered the tomb of Lazarus to be opened. And then Jesus called Lazarus to come out, and that dead man was restored to life. Now, those who witnessed that miracle spread word about it. And some of them took the news directly to Jesus' own enemies. And they began to plan all the more seriously for Jesus' death. Caiaphas, as the high priest of Israel, he unknowingly prophesied the truth about Jesus. It would have been better, Jesus said, that we have one man die for the people rather than to have the Romans respond to the threat of Jesus' growing popularity by destroying the whole nation. Jesus' opponents even made plans to kill Lazarus, too, and to wipe out any evidence of that recent miracle. Now, later, Jesus joined Mary, Martha, and Lazarus at dinner, and Mary opened a costly container of perfumed ointment and anointed Jesus' feet, answering Jesus' own disciples and their complaints about the expense and wasted money. Jesus explained that Mary was preparing him, anointing his body for burial an event that would take place just a week later. Later, as Jesus and his disciples continued on that road up to Jerusalem, Jesus repeatedly told the disciples what lay in store for him. He said he would be betrayed, arrested, and crucified. He would be buried and then raised to life on the third day after his death. The disciples were puzzled. Now, maybe they thought that their master and Lord could not die. He he was surely too powerful for that. After all, he had just raised Lazarus from the dead. Still, they probably wondered. They wondered what Jesus meant by that strange comment about rising from the dead. Now, if the disciples didn't understand what rising from the dead meant, they did understand what it meant to be important. And they were very concerned about that. They argued among themselves as to which one of them was the most important. Finally, James and John asked Jesus for a special favor. Since he would reign as king in his kingdom, they asked if they could sit beside him on either side of his throne. That honor, Jesus said, could only be granted by his heavenly Father. But before the throne, there would be suffering. Jesus would soon drink the cup of God's wrath against sin. He would not have a throne, but a cross. 
he would not be crowned with gold, but with thorns. And his followers, too, would eventually suffer because of their faith in him. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his own life as a ransom. And now the time, the time to pay that ransom price had come. Jesus would enter Jerusalem to take up those last steps to the cross. That was the purpose for which he had come. Welcomed by cheering followers, Jesus' own disciples, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He came just as the prophet said he would. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Those are the words we heard earlier from the prophet Zechariah. Perhaps as this was happening, the people remembered the story of Solomon, the son of David, who centuries before, he was acclaimed as king as he rode through Jerusalem on a mule. To welcome Jesus as king, the people waved palm branches like flags. Jesus rode his donkey over a red carpet formed by branches and coats thrown on the road. Jesus' followers shouted praise and welcomed him as the son of David. They had waited a long time for this king, and now he had finally come. Maybe now he would save them from the hated Roman conquerors. They called out to him, Hosanna! Save us now. Jesus was the son of David. He was that king, the promised Messiah of Israel. And he had come to save his people. But he had not come to save them from the Romans. He came to save them from their own sins. And to do this, he wouldn't wear that crown of gold. Instead, he knew that that crown of thorns awaited. And as he rode into the city on a donkey, just less than a week, he would be dragging a heavy wooden cross, the instrument of his death through those same streets. On Sunday, sure, the crowds were welcoming him as their king, but he knew on Friday that that same title would be posted on his cross as his crime. This is the king of the Jews. But this was the purpose for which Jesus had come. He was a king who came not in power to enact his own will, but to accomplish his Father's will. And that meant that Jesus came in humility. The Son of God, God in human flesh, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
in that humble obedience to his Father, Jesus offered up his life as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus, our King, came to save us, but he came to save us not through great power, but instead through great weakness by giving up his own life for you and for me. And Jesus died, and he was buried. But as he said, on the third day he was raised up from the grave, never to die again. Jesus came in weakness, but he was a king of great power. And God exalted him. God exalted him to the highest place. God raised him from the dead and raised him to his own right hand so that Jesus' own victory over death could be our victory too. Jesus won for you and for me. And because we are joined to Jesus in our baptism, because we were buried with him and raised to new life with him, we all live in his kingdom. We live in that kingdom even now, and we live, we live that same pattern of Jesus' life. We live not for ourselves. We live not to enact our own desires, to accumulate our own power. Instead, we live a life emptying ourselves, a life of weakness, a life of humble service in God's kingdom. Because on the last day, when our King returns in glory, we know that we will have victory. We will be raised up from our graves just as Jesus was never to die again. And then our King, that King who was welcomed into Jerusalem, the King who offered up his life on the cross for us, that King who rose from the dead for us, he will welcome us into his eternal kingdom. He will say, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And there, as the Apostle John saw, we will take up palm branches once more. We will stand with all the saints among a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This Palm Sunday, I don't just want you to imagine what it would be like if you could be king or queen of the world. Instead, I want you to know that there is only one king, one king of the universe, one king of the world. And that king comes. He comes in humility. 
He comes in the form of a servant. He comes to suffer and die so that you and I would have victory, so that you and I would have eternal life, so that you and I would have forgiveness for all of our sins, so that you and I could live in that kingdom and wave these palm branches before our King forever. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and triumphant Savior. Amen.